This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. So, TJ, what is, first of all, have you thought out from Sunday yet? I know the weather was not great in barely, Pittsburgh. Barely. <laughs> you get barely. that chill and it just sticks yeah, forever. Barely. I mean, coming back Monday, uh, you know, you're just kind of worn out and tired. And I think today, Tuesday, uh, was that day where you're like, yep, that, here comes the sniffles, man. Here comes that stuffy nose. And mm-hmm. um, it's different being a player. Uh, I mean, the weather wasn't terrible. You know, it wasn't one of those just terrible ten degree days and right. wind. I mean, it was it was a little bit of rain, uh, but being a player, you don't really notice it when you're playing. You know, you yeah. might notice it on the sideline a little bit, but now being a sideline reporter, standing there for four hours, getting <laughs> sure wet, as hell notice it. Cold, <laughs> you notice it a lot more. <laughs> I, I had a lot of the old teammates and doctors and everybody. You you never used to wear sleeves, man. Now I'm over there on the sideline, all bundled up with a hat and gloves on. Yeah, and, uh, like yeah. Look at world, soft man. in his old it's age. A different world, yeah. But it was uh, <clears throat> it wasn't the worst weather I've seen. Um, it was a sloppy game, though. It was a sloppy game, and uh, weather wise, field condition. Uh, I mean, a lot of injuries, too. You know, that was uh, no, hopefully nothing serious on either side. But, um, yeah, man, it was it was cold. And that was one of those games you leave and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be sick for about a week now. Yeah. <laughs> and you finally, a couple days later, you feel that starting to settle in a little bit. I'm glad to hear that you were uh, a non-sleeve guy um, because I do think that uh, there is a measure of toughness that you've got to – um, you know, have as an offensive lineman and sleeves uh, were just something that I I could never do as a player. What was the worst weather game you ever played in? Oh man, we well we've had a we had a few. I mean, between I've seen playing, Green Bay, yeah, yeah, late game, late season games in Green Bay and late season games. Uh, you know, going to Chicago. I mean, you see some nasty weather. I think uh, the worst though was it was either 2012 or 13. We played a. Um, home playoff game against San Francisco and it was a divisional round um it might have been the wild card round actually I think we were the four seed um and it was probably we won the division that year at eight seven and one just keep bragging eight seven and one we won the division Aaron (laughs) Rodgers blew his collarbone out and came back late and we had a tie in there against Minnesota it's like (laughs) going through it again this weekend looking at it and you're trying to remember how you felt and it's just like 
you just played four hours for nothing. Like, yes. <laughs> that's how it feels, you know. Um, but, yeah, we won the Division 8-7-1. We hosted San Francisco, and uh, it was probably 10 to 15 degrees, uh, but the wind chill was, they said, minus 30 to minus yeah. 45. Ooh. And, uh, I mean, it was so cold that your feet were numb, your hands were numb, um, nobody wanted to come off the line and hit anybody <laughs> on the offense defensive line. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of those kind of patty cake games, and mm-hmm. um, because you just really didn't have any options, you didn't know what to do. Yeah, uh, I actually went to the sideline that game, and you know they have those big blowtorch heaters on the sideline. Yeah, and I put my hands down in front of it, and. Your hands are numb, so you can't feel when they're warming up. And all of a sudden, I looked down and I saw my gloves starting to char up a little bit. Oh, you, <laughs> you pulled our ball oh, before man. it was cool. And I had to rip it off, and I'm freaking out. I almost burned my hand. And then you feel you feel the numbness go away, and your hands on fire, and it's just like, gosh, this is brutal, man. But yeah. that was rough, and uh, we ended up losing the game. But I remember just sitting in the locker room after the game, and you, like you can't even talk after those games because. You're just out there exerting yourself. Your lungs are full of cold air. Uh-huh. Um, that's the type of game. I mean, it takes you two or three days just to get your breathing back. And then when you and even think brutal, about it, man. you get the chill. Yeah, I mean, you do. And that's how I was even after Pittsburgh. And I know it was probably mid-30s. I mean, it was right on that cusp of snow, rain, sleet, whatever you want to call it. But It's the wet. Though. Even the dry. Yeah, the wetness. I mean, it was, you know, and you try to do everything possible with the rain gear and the pants and the boots. But Mm -hmm. when your gloves get wet, I mean, those are useless. When your jacket starts to get a little wet, it just makes everything worse. And and even on the ride home, I mean, two or three hours into the ride, I was still shivering. I was still shaking. I was still shivering, man. But, um, yeah, it was was a cold one. wasn't the worst. But that Green Bay game, man, I'm telling you. We had one, actually another quick one, NFC Championship game 2010 at Chicago. Um, So cold that the – coils under the field like half of them broke pregame so you go out there pregame and you're trying to test your cleats you're trying to see okay do i need the short studs do i need the inch studs what do i need and you're walking you'd walk you'd walk like 10 yards and it would be kind of mushy mud and then the next 10 yards would be rock rock solid solid ice and you're just like Holy shit! What am I? <laughs> what am I gonna do? And I think they ended up actually getting it fixed, but they overfixed it so to where the field just like turned into mud oh. and muck. <laughs> it was disgusting. They fought out the tundra, and it was about five ten degrees. And I, you know what? But I would rather play any day of the week. I'd rather play in ten degrees than ninety degree heat. No question. As an offensive lineman, uh, there's the heat is ten times worse than the cold. And I'll go to my grave thinking that. I know the you know skilled guys are the complete opposite, but well, the, the, you play yeah, those hot weather games, pretty, man. It is oh, it just drains you. And it's brutal. It, it is uh, the coldest one that I played in. I actually go back to what well, there was two. One we played in Baltimore at the end of the year um, when I was with Washington. That was just it was just brutal cold. It wasn't it, there was no wind. There was no. Um, and we played in the Meadowlands a bunch where the wind would be whipping through there, and there were some cold days, but I just remember it being so frigid cold. It was a night game, and there was nothing you could do to warm up. Yeah. It, just, it was impossible. The, the coldest one that I ever played in, and I don't know if you would even remember this, 95, it was Michigan-Purdue. I don't know. 95, how old would, would you have been? would have been about eight, <laughs> depending on when the game was, maybe nine. <laughs> so it was uh, one of those days, and, and Lloyd Carr had just signed, uh, you know, they made him, they took off the interim, 
And so we wanted to go out and obviously play for the coach. Yeah. Well, we show up at the stadium, and it was, I think, it, I can't remember exactly the chain of events, but at one point, the sun was out. At one point, it was raining. At one point, it was snowing. Then the sun would come back out, and it was windy. The it was it was a little bit of everything. A little smorgasbord of weather. <laughs> and the sidelines. This is before. This is when Michigan still had grass, and the it couldn't pump the amount of water. The pump system couldn't pump the amount of water. So with the crown on the field, the the field was it was wet and and soggy, but it wasn't saturated with water yeah. but on the sidelines we were standing in like six inches of water oh man all day long and the final score of the game five nothing oh boy oh, that <laughs> absolutely brutal that is sloppy and i remember my mom saying uh because i was again not gonna wear sleeves especially being a redshirt freshman at the time like yeah. you gotta prove oh yeah you're tough and she just kept saying your arms were purple <laughs> and the worst part wasn't coming off and and hitting somebody it was like in pass protection when you'd get the hand slap and oh, they'd yeah. slap you right on the side it of the stings. arm and it would just oh, sting. Yeah. That's that was was the most miserable. But getting back to the Lions in <clears throat> Pittsburgh on Sunday, sixteen sixteen tie. Um Dan Campbell took over offensive play calling. Your thoughts on on that? Because there's a lot that goes into it. There is there's Jared Goff and his inability to throw his injury throughout the course of the game but your thoughts just on dan campbell calling plays as we believe probably for the first time in his in his career yeah i think it was um very obvious a dan campbell uh, heavily influenced game plan slash calls where and we speculated this uh on this last week what is the offense going to look like coming out of the bye week and when you heard Dan Campbell say, well, he wants to have a bigger uh, influence over the offense. I think the first bell that rings in your head is, okay, they're going to get the run game going because that's just all he's talked about since day one. That's who he is. Yeah. Um, that's that's how he's built. That's how he's wired is just the physicality part of the game and um, just the rough and tumble punch in the mouth, uh, one, two yard, three yard, and then we'll burst a 40 yard. That, that's just kind of who he is. So. Um, look, I mean, the numbers for the rushing game speak for themselves. I mean, you run for almost 230 yards on what has historically been one of the toughest defenses in the NFL for a long time now at their place, which yeah. just doesn't – I mean, that doesn't happen. Teams don't go into Pittsburgh and just run for 230. It doesn't happen. Um, that was impressive. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the same questions we had going into the bye week after starting 0-8 are, are still unanswered. Um, you still – you still showed that you can't win games with a very, very poor passing game. You yeah. can't do it. And I think something that was really telling, I know you talked to uh, Coach Campbell, you and Stoney, uh, this week, and, and uh, you know, something he said was late in the game, you know, he didn't want to do anything risky. That's why he kept calling the runs. And the th- first thing I thought of, well, if you're thinking that an NFL quarterback throwing the ball is risky – doesn't that tell you everything you need to know yeah. about his confidence in Jared Goff? And I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to uh, call for anybody's job or anything, but it, just throwing a pass is risky in the NFL. Well, I mean that that to me is like, wow. I I think you really gotta you really gotta think about about doing something different because you can't. You, you, I know they didn't lose, but you still didn't win, and you can't yeah. win with that sort of passing attack you just can't it's impossible so the risk is is 
I think in large part, Jared Goff. But it's also in the receiving core. of, And we talked about this early in the year. Guys not necessarily being on the same page or the awareness when you have young, inexperienced receivers um, not coming out of their breaks the way that they're supposed to. Or even if you're, you know, hey, you're you're 0-8 right now. And the motivation level sometimes can be you know, an issue, you know, not running as hard or playing as hard as you can. Now, I don't think that's – there's only been maybe one or two games where I think that's been an issue. Cincinnati um, and and I forget the other one. But um, they're, they're a team that still plays hard, but when you don't have the ability to throw to a good, you know, a bunch of receivers and your quarterback is not confident going deep, and now all of a sudden he's got – I don't know what the exact uh, injury is, but it was seemed like an abdominal injury. Yeah, Can't, oblique, yeah. side, rib cage. Yeah. Yeah, an issue that you line. and I have never had. Yeah, uh, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, still wondering what the obliques are. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's hard to have confidence in any of that. And one of the, the – the, what's supposed to be your – well, not supposed to be, but is your leading receiver right now, TJ Hawkinson, in my opinion, has underperformed all season long. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, we hit on it, gosh, it seems like probably a month ago now about um, Hawkinson. And at the point, I think a lot of people were like, well, he's our only good player. He's our only good player because he was leading them in catches, yards, all that you know, good stuff. And um, but really, I mean, you want to, TJ is a nice player. Don't get me wrong. He's a nice player, but I think there need to be some tempered expectations on what kind of player he is. I don't, he's not a Travis Kelsey. He's not yep. a, a George Kittle. He's not a guy that's, uh, you know, going to put the team on his back. I mean, he's, he, he, he makes plays when he's open. The one thing about TJ though, is I think he's, he started the season really, uh, as a plus in the run blocking department. Um, he was. I don't know that he's we, a plus anymore. Right, and that's, the, I think, the biggest change is that you watch some of these games and it's like, man, just quit holding guys, you know, and he cost them again yep. in the overtime. I mean, you're down, you got the ball at the 26-yard line, which would have been a fourth and one, and instead you back up to the 38, and we all know what happens there. You miss yep. a field goal. But um, Hawkinson, you know what the one thing I'd like to see more from him is uh, – Kind of shaking it up a little bit, giving the defender, giving the defender something else to think about because he's pretty much just a straight line guy. If he's running over route, it's just get off the line and go. You know, if he's running go route, it's just go. I mean, there's no kind of shake, there's no wiggle to it. You know, kind of stair step, throw the guy off and and try to get open. There's no none of those little tools in his toolbox right now, and there's really nothing after the catch too, which I think is probably probably the poorest part of his game. I mean, it's a lot of the time, hey, catch the ball, fall down. Catch the ball, fall down. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, man, just go, man, go, you know, and uh, he's still got a lot of work to do. I think he he'll, he'll even, he he would even tell you that. But, you know, I think that kind of goes back to your point a couple minutes ago about um, a lot of the best tight ends in the league have somebody on the outside that yeah. helps attract the coverage away from them. And um, that's just kind of something that TJ's got to battle through right now. He knows that teams are going to lock in on him. He knows he's um, going to get a, four sets, of, uh, two sets of eyes, four eyes on him every single pass. Um, he doesn't have a lot of opportunities that he's going to get where it's going to be one-on-one. Um, but you know what? I mean, when you're expected to be a big-time player, um, 
I mean, you just got to produce a little more. That's just what it comes down to. And we, on Monday, obviously, we're disappointed that it wasn't a win. It was one of those games that, that could have been. But we spent so much, and, and I'm sometimes cautious of always talking about the negative because yeah. that's it, it, it's easy to do and it's easy to get caught in. If you're looking at that game, what are some of the things that you thought, okay, there's a positive that we could take out of this this tie? Yeah, I mean, offensively, uh, uh, the run game, yeah. I, I think, uh, especially with um, the younger players. I mean, Jamar Jefferson, I don't know what his injury looks like now. We'll probably get an update as the week goes on. Such but, a shame. Um, Godwin Iguibuque, man, I, I was really surprised, and I, I'm more pissed at myself for not asking Coach post game why he didn't get more opportunities. I mean, he had two carries. The first carry comes and goes 14, and the very next play he goes 42 for a touchdown. And that was the last carry he got of the game. Right. And then DeAndre Swift came in and, and finished with, what, 33 carries. And uh, it's like, man, dude, you just had this kid, you know, young, fresh legs, um, just go, you know, what, 58 yards in two plays, and he doesn't see the field again. Um, I'm sure that's something that, you know, coach is probably looking at too. I mean, you get a guy that's got the hot hand, so to speak, you want to ride him a little bit more. Coach – Probably regretted not giving him more chances, but that's something to build off of. I think the run game took a, took a big step. Um, and defensively, look, I mean, I think that was the biggest positive coming out of the game, the way that they tackled and swarmed to the ball. And I know Najee Harris got, uh, you know, he, he carried a couple guys at, at times to get that extra couple yards. It really but was only the opening drive, it, though, it that was, he had great success yeah. and then you saw some adjustments you saw some adjustments and you saw late in the game a little bit him kind of getting hit at the line of scrimmage and still going for three or four which is a bit of concern but for the most part um i think the one one thing that really stood out was the defense swarming to the football um and you could tell that that was probably a point of emphasis coming out of the bye week um because you even look at those three turnovers um, you know, the first one that came in overtime when Gilbert punched it out. Right. I mean, there was six Lions right there to get that jump on that ball. You know, if you're not swarming to the ball, that's got a good chance of uh, one of the other Pittsburgh players jumping on that, right? Um, Tracy Walker, man, I mean, he had a couple of just vicious hits, yes. just ferocious Love hits. That. And yeah. I was standing probably five yards away when he hit Rudolph and ended up going out of the game after that. But, my goodness, that was violent. Um, he's been a guy that's been flying around a lot. So, I think defensively, the the, the defense for the most part hasn't been a problem this season. No. I mean, outside of the Philly game, which they kind of hit yeah. on just everything going wrong, even you look at Cincinnati, they hold them to seven points in the first half. Um, they're playing their balls off, man, and the offense just has not done anything. The, you can't win games when you can't score more than 16 points. And I, the, the NFL. The, the Lions, Lions haven't scored more than 19 points since week one. And offensively, you just it's hard to win games. But their defense, for the most part, I felt Sunday, the defense deserved to win that game. It was unfortunate the offense uh, couldn't find a way to get that last score, and obviously they had some kicking issues, which huh. when you're an 0-8 football team, the last thing you want to worry about is your kicker costing yeah. you a game. But uh, I, I, I think the biggest positive was that there was a lot of – a lot of good defensive play, especially from some young players. Yeah, um, that that was that's something they can definitely build off. I thought Penny Sewell move into right tackle because uh, Taylor Decker was back um, after the finger injury, and 
I was concerned because we both talked about it in the preseason. He didn't look comfortable over there. And I think for his development, one of the greatest – you don't want to look at it as an injury as a positive, but for him to be able to get eight games under his belt and get on the field, have some success at left tackle, I think it gave him a lot of confidence that, yeah, I could play at this level – and moving over to right tackle, I mean, he had 29 uh, pass protections were dropbacks, and some of those were obviously um, screened. Some of them were play action. But I thought he played well, and he looked comfortable at the right tackle position. Yeah, I thought so too, and, and you hit it right on the head. I mean, I talked to a few guys before the game, and um, I, I think Sewell's – I actually talked to him last week too. I did an interview with him. I think his confidence – um, has really come a long way, specifically in the, especially in the last uh, three or four games. Mm-hmm. I think that he's shown, and he's probably proven to himself um, that he belongs in the league and that he can be a big time player in this league. And as a young guy, that's when the light kind of goes off, and that's when you're like, okay, man, I'm ready to yeah. take it to the next level. And I think when you have that type of confidence. Uh, it doesn't matter where you put your hand in the ground, whether they put you a guard, tackle, anywhere, flip sides. I mean, when you're rolling with that kind of confidence, um, you feel like you can do anything. And that was that's just kind of how it looked uh, watching him play. And he's just, I mean, I'll tell you what, in the run game, man, he moves people. And that's probably the strength of his game right now is moving people in the run game. Um, right tackle, I thought they did a nice job of – Really helping the whole offensive line this this week, uh, this past game, by calling a lot of those quick screens and yeah. play actions and slide protections. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of plays. I mean, rewatching the game uh, earlier this morning, there wasn't a lot of plays. They asked those guys just to drop back and pass protect, uh, you know, one on one, maybe four or five times. But when they did, um, they did a pretty nice job. And Sewell had had a couple reps, one on one against T.J. Watt and. Um, looked like he's been playing there for a long time. I think that's definitely a positive. And you can see the benefit, obviously, of having Taylor Decker back a- as well. It just shores up both tackle positions. Yep. It's an upgrade at both tackle positions, which is huge. Um, and the work that Taylor Decker did, too. I mean, it, it was – I know coaches and the players were obviously thrilled to have him back. Mm-hmm. And, and I like, too, that they're using – uh, Penny Sewell's athletic ability in the run game. You mentioned he's a, he's a mover, and and I do appreciate you posting on your Twitter account a a sideways highlight. Technology, man. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it escapes both of us. Yeah. Um, he pulls. I mean, kicks out the, on those little quick wide receiver screens. I mean, yeah, yeah he, he gets out in space, and he's an he shows his the athletic ability yeah. that we had heard about. For he being pulls thirty two, um, and I think. He does a good job of some of the basics. Yeah. Um, and w- when you posted that one this morning, um, and I watched him pull from that right tackle position, and he keeps, I mean, he gets out of his stance quick. He keeps his shoulders square. He does a good job of, of you know, sometimes you do have to turn, but he runs, and when he turns downfield, he do- I think he does a good job of identifying his target and acquiring said target. Yeah, and he's a very fluid athlete, too. I mean, the way yeah. he moves is uh, very smooth. And really, I mean, most of the guys on that offensive line are very similar. Jonah Jackson's got really good feet. Yeah, Decker's a great athlete. I mean, just having that type of ability from your offensive line, um, it gives you so many options as to what you want to do in the run game. Do you want to be a zone team? Do you want to be an outside zone team? Do you want to be a power team? Um 
we've seen a little bit of everything this this year from him so far. Um, and this past week, I think most of their big plays came off of just power football, just guys getting mm-hmm. double teams and uh, getting to the second level, bringing in Matt Nelson as an extra having two tight ends in the game. I mean, yeah. uh, it was just kind of old Throwing school the power ball. football. But they've also shown that uh, if they need to adjust, I mean, they can they can get the outside game going as well. And I think having athletes like that is a huge benefit. And um, Panay Sewell is impressive. I saw another guy, I can't remember who posted it, but on one of the screens that St. Brown caught for a nice gain, I mean, Sewell, just the way he flashes real quick and gets out to the flat, throws a block on the corner, it's just like, my goodness, man! Three hundred and thirty pound dudes aren't supposed to do that. No, but yeah, he's he's definitely uh, he's he's definitely an impressive athlete, as well, for sure. And I was watching the game last night between the Niners and the Rams, um, and a guy that moves in space like Penny Sewell. Now he's got a Penny Sewell has a long way to go before you could compare him to to Trent Williams. Yeah. But Trent Williams in space. You talk about a big dude who goes, you know, what, 340. Yeah. And the ability to get out and block in space, thats it's not an easy thing to do because, you know, let's face it, those guys on the outside are much better athletes. Yeah. But the way that he moved his feet, when I watched it last night and then I watched you post that clip this morning, they move in a very similar manner. Oh, yeah, they do. And I think that uh, Trent Williams is – probably a good guy to watch if you're a young player like Panay Sewell just the way that he moves being a, a heavy tackle being a 330 340 guy um, with great feet um, it's hard to be uh, you know a three tool t- uh, offensive lineman as far as you know being dominant in the run game dominant in the pass protection and dominant when you get asked to go block in space but Trent Williams has kind of been that gold standard for a long time now um, yeah and he's just uh, he plays angry, too, and that's something that I like about Sewell's game is he plays with an attitude, man. I mean, you look at that game a couple of weeks ago and getting an Aaron Donald's face, and it's like if I was a guard, I'd be like, dude, come on, don't piss him off. What are you doing, man? But you get a guy yeah, with that type exactly. of attitude that ain't going to back down from anybody. Uh, you got to appreciate and respect that. But, yeah, I think um, you're not trying to compare a 21-year-old kid to a you know 10-time Pro Bowler in Trent yeah. Williams, but that – is that's the potential you see flashes yeah. that's the potential that he does have and um man it's been exciting to watch because he has really gone through a bit of a roller coaster in the past couple months when you talk about the preseason i mean did not really look good then moving to left tackle had a good game then a bad game then a good game then a bad game then good 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 great 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 okay man now he's starting to rev it up you see that and uh yeah his potential is definitely exciting um, I do want to ask you, um, as we transition from the uh, the pro game to the college game, I know you grew up a Michigan fan. This coming weekend, there's a very unique situation. Michigan State and Ohio State, the two biggest rivals mm. that Michigan has. You can't root for a tie in college either. No, unfortunate. you know, it's, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to come down to the two-point conversions. Yeah. But Michigan needs... Michigan State to get a loss. And it really doesn't matter if it comes against Ohio State or Penn State, who Michigan uh, finishes out the season with. Right. Or I'm sorry, Michigan State finishes the season with Penn State. But you also don't want to get into that last game thinking you need some help. Can you root for the Buckeyes? I mean, you kind of have to, right? It's tough. And this is usually... Man, if Michigan take Michigan out of it, say they're like you know just five and five. Um, 
I would probably root for Michigan State. I think that's what I usually do just because growing up, I mean, you're taught to hate Ohio State as a Michigan fan, and that never really leaves you. But, yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with it this week. I think um, especially when you look at the fact that uh, this is where Michigan needs help yeah. um, if they're going to – uh, you know, beat Ohio State, which I still think is a long shot. Um, but it's probably a long shot for both. It's probably a long shot for both. Yeah, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I don't have an issue wanting Michigan to get a little bit of help because um, <laughs> they have to have it. It's, yeah, it's either or. And it, so if Michigan State wins, obviously, then you've got to root for Penn State um, because Michigan State is a team that you know they've they've done the work. They beat Michigan. If it's tied. They they win the head to head now, mm-hmm. Michigan State on the flip side. If they were to win that game, that gives Ohio State a loss. It gives Michigan State has the one loss, but they win that head to head tiebreaker. Right. They would. Let's see. I'm trying to think how this would all work. It doesn't really matter what happens in that Michigan Michigan Ohio State game because in, unless Michigan you're, State wins out. Right. Unless you're Michigan and you win out and potentially have some sort of, uh, I guess, late conference championship, uh, you know, losses in there and, and you potentially have a, an opening to maybe jump in that top four yeah. if you win out. Let's say, uh, let's say your situation plays out. Michigan State and Michigan both went out. Um, you're probably looking at what, maybe Michigan State goes to the Big Ten Championship game. Maybe yep. four and five, maybe five and six, um, as far as the rankings. You could be looking Michigan at three St- and four. Yeah, I mean, you could be looking that high. Um, the problem Michigan will have, though, is not playing the championship in that championship game. game because now if you get, uh, you know, let's say you lock in Michigan State, you lock in Georgia. Um, if Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama's going to be in the top four, and so is Georgia. If Alabama loses to Georgia by – three, four scores, now they can potentially drop out of the top four. I could see that happening. But if that's a close game one way or the other, I don't see them dropping both of those teams out. I just don't. Any of those. Alabama, uh, Georgia. I yeah. think they don't. I think you probably got to lock in both of them being in the top four. So if yeah. you're Michigan, you have to root for um, <laughs> something wacky happening in the conference champion in the championships. Whether that comes down to Oregon's going Oregon, to lose, um, Cincinnati. I know they're probably going to see. This is what's confusing me. There's no like East West in the American Conference, but Yo, they still play. So they would probably game. have to play Houston, who is undefeated in that conference as well. So they there's might be another opening for a loss and. Um, but so let me give you this they, scenario. There's an opening. I mean, Michigan right now, if they win out. I think that whether you're sitting at five in the final playoff rankings and you hope now you're probably rooting for Georgia just to beat the shit out of Alabama. So you can say, well, they got two losses. We got one. Yeah. Now you have a chance. So let me give you this scenario. Oregon loses to whoever else is on their schedule. Utah, I think is their Utah. They're playing this game, weekend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they'll also have to play a championship game. Yep. Oregon loses, and let's just say that that the, because the Pac-12 is not as strong a conference as the Big Ten, that moves them down. Yeah, um, and now you're looking at you know a uh, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State's there, Michigan State, and Michigan. But Michigan State beats Ohio State, so they're going to drop down. Mm-hmm. Michigan wins out. 
you're looking at probably – I mean, the question is, if Michigan State wins out, Michigan wins out. Obviously, Michigan State's going to the, to the Big Ten championship game. Right. Do both of those teams jump Cincinnati? Oh, man. I mean, I would hope so. You I would mean, think so with I that schedule, so. especially I, at this time? Especially, I mean, you can't – like, you, you have to reward teams that have these games late in the schedule. You can't just reward Cincinnati for playing a bunch of cream puffs, you know? Yeah. And beating SMU and beating FIU and be whoever the hell they play. I don't yeah, know. Tulsa. <laughs> Tulsa. Yeah, I mean, come on now. I mean, and you, you've got Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan playing top really five game top five opponents you know the last couple weeks of the season i mean yeah. I, I don't see that uh happening i hope that cincinnati gets left out um now if hits the fan and michigan state loses and uh let, let's say michigan Chaos state ensues. let's say michigan state beats ohio state ohio state drops um and then Penn State, Penn State beats, beats Michigan, Michigan State, State and then Ohio State's beat Michigan. They're all sitting there with two losses. <laughs> now there's an now there's an opening for Cincinnati. You could say, okay, I mean we can't put them in over uh we can't put them behind a two loss team. But yeah, I think uh look, Cincinnati, it is what it is, man. You know, you play a cream puff schedule, you beat who, Notre Dame. I mean, yeah. you know, congratulations. Notre Dame's kinda in the same spot and Notre Dame lost to Gosh, who was their loss to? Uh, Cincinnati. Um, cin- right, right. Since Yeah, Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati hasn't lost. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, you just – look, I think it's obvious, and I think that the way that the rankings have come out so far, the committee's taken that into effect. You guys, hey, we know your – we know your uh, – we know your uh, win-loss. We know your schedule. <laughs> like, it just is what it is, guys. You know, you want to you be considered one of the best four teams, start playing – Start playing good teams. Yeah. You can't just have one on the schedule when these other teams have four or five of them on the schedule every single season. So last question I got for you before we finish up. We both, I think, admit that the the odds-on favorite to win out is probably Ohio State. Yeah. Um, they've got Michigan State this weekend. They've got Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor next weekend. What's the recipe for Michigan State to have a chance to win that game? against Ohio State? Yeah, I think it really comes down to uh, the passing attack. I, I think so. I mean, you watched Michigan State last week against Maryland. They finally um, kind of got back on that track of, uh, you know, getting the explosive plays down the field and, um, you know, being that potent offense that we saw, uh, you know, throughout the first, what was it, seven, seven weeks of the season. Um, because Ohio State's a team that, you know, you can they can go up on you twenty one nothing like that. You know, like boom, just <laughs> in five minutes. Holy, <laughs> we're down twenty one nothing. And but Michigan State, if you if you build off that passing game and you show us that passing game that you've showed really the majority of the season, you're giving yourself a chance to at least stay in the game. And that's what kind of scares me about Michigan is that it's the opposite. Um, if they go down quick to Ohio State. I mean, no. you can't just run the ball 40 times to try to get back into it, you know? <laughs> no, you Michigan can't. State's got that passing attack where um, they can. I mean, they can get back into it. And if they control the ball offensively, if they get Kenneth Walker going and they keep C.J. Stroud and all those <laughs> that great <laughs> group Wide of receivers, receivers that they have, you keep them deep. on the sideline so um, and you don't really allow them to get into a rhythm, um, I, I could see – I mean, I could see it playing out close. I really could. Um Michigan State just, 
I mean, Ohio State, this is what it comes down to. I mean, their passing attack is just, it's so potent. And they have three, four options that are just like, mm-hmm. God damn, you can't cover everybody. I mean, you try to take Olave out of the game and there's you know, Garrett Smith Wilson. And, <laughs> yeah. Garrett Wilson and then the freshman Smith, uh, you know, man, I don't want to butcher his name, but, you know, he what, yeah. he had 20 catches against Nebraska. I mean, yeah. it's like pick your poison, you know. And, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put it that way. They can control the ball. Um, offensively, they can get Kenneth Walker going um, and to keep their passing tackle going. I, I think it's going to be a game you're going to have to try to find a way to score, shoot, probably 40 points, yep. 42 points. I mean, just kind of feels like the way the game's going to be, doesn't it? Yep. I, I like Bill Tucker doesn't want to say shootout, but yeah. uh, I think it's yeah. that's where we're headed. That's, I think that's where we're heading as well. I mean, Ohio State's showing up. They, they can let up some points as well, and Michigan State has as well, but um, – Gosh, I mean, we just hit on it. Michigan fans, you yeah. should be hope, hope rooting for an Ohio State. <laughs> well, no matter how dirty you feel, yes. no matter how filthy you feel, you might need to take a shower after. you got to yes. be rooting for Ohio State this yes. weekend. Yes, yes, and then turn the page. But uh, I tell you what, uh, the Lions travel to Cleveland. Uh, Michigan State obviously heading to Columbus and Michigan heading to uh, you know College Park, Maryland. We'll get a chance to talk about all of them next week as well as the Thanksgiving edition, the food portion of the Big Man Podcast. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week on Necessary Roughness.